This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanen, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 100. Looks like we made it after all. This episode features lessons from you, my fellow rebels, on the things you've learned and want others to know. It is filled with nuggets of wisdom and brilliance. And I am so honored that I get to hang out with you and that I get to share your words today. Before we dive in, I have a few announcements. First, you can get all the links and resources mentioned in this podcast at summerinandin.com forward slash 100. And second, if you've been with me all these years, or even if you haven't and you're new, I would be so appreciative if you took the time to go to iTunes and leave a review for this podcast, like this one from Amy East Coast. Thank you so much for the podcast. This is a must listen to for people who are striving for self-acceptance and recovery from eating disorders. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much, Amy East Coast. What's up? I really appreciate it. Leaving a review helps others to find this show. It helps to bump out other shows that promote diet culture. Nothing against those people, but uh, we don't need to be promoting weight loss. So leaving a review helps others to find it, and I would be so honored if you did that. So you can go to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, click ratings and reviews, and then click to leave a review or give it a rating. Or go to summerinandin.com forward slash review and uh, you'll find a direct link to that. Lastly, there is some exciting stuff coming up that I'm really excited to share with you. And again, this is thanking you for your support with these things that are coming up. So if you get my weekly emails, then you may have seen the one I sent a couple of weeks ago where I talked about how I just wasn't feeling the name of the program rock your body anymore, because it was just feeling a little bit too adorable for me. And it didn't speak to the fire that really burns from people who go through the program and no longer participate in diet culture. And it didn't speak to how the program is so much more than body image. And really, it's about finding your purpose and value beyond participating in the beauty game. So I asked for your feedback And I was so appreciative of everyone who took the time to reply and have those conversations with me. It helped me so much. And with much deliberation, because I'm highly analytical and introspective, often to a point of diminishing returns. (laughs) And uh, with the help of Kelly Deals, who you may remember from episode 94, who's helping me with some of this stuff, Rock Your Body has been officially renamed and taglined you on fire. Break out of the cage. Your body and your life are your own. Get fiery and free. Untame yourself. So that's not the whole name. That's a bit more of like a tagline, but it's really you on fire. So I want to thank you guys so much because I'm really excited about it again. Sometimes when it comes down to marketing it, it's, uh, you know, it can be kind of emotionally draining. So I feel reinvigorated and re-inspired and the the program's going to be the same but it's going to be punched up a bit and a little more fiery so I'm really excited about that more details will be coming soon we're going to start in September so if you're not on my weekly emails 
which includes some exclusive content and words of inspiration from me, then go to summerinandend.com forward slash updates to make sure you're receiving them. So again, thanks to everyone who helped me with that. I am so appreciative of it. I'll be sending you an email just saying thank you. But I wanted to put it out there into the uh, world of podcasting as well. So let's get started with the 100th episode of this show. I gave a lot of thought as to what I wanted to do for this episode. 100 episodes is so many, and I didn't think that I would hit three digits with this podcast when I started it. I really just didn't have any kind of goal or outcome that I was working towards. I was just sort of doing it because I enjoyed it, and then it kept going and growing. And now here we are at 100. So I gave it a lot of thought, and I thought, you know, do I list off 100 of my favorite ice cream shops or scenes from Beverly Hills 90210? But I wanted to do something a little more special and related to the work that we do. So I asked my Facebook community for their suggestions, and I got so many good ones So again, I want to thank everyone who gave me different ideas because I will definitely be using those for future episodes. But what I went with was something to celebrate you, and that is crowdsourcing lessons from you. The idea to crowdsource lessons came from Eleanor, who helps to manage my Facebook community, and I loved it because... I feel like we are each other's greatest teachers, and my clients, colleagues, and community have been some of my best teachers. The work we're doing here is radical and not exactly mainstream, so the best way for us to learn and grow is to share what we know with each other. It's the one beautiful thing about the internet is that it brings us together and makes this information more accessible. I am always so blown away by the brilliant, thoughtful, and compassionate words of support and advice that you give to each other in our Facebook community. And so I'm really excited to share your words with the world here. And what's so awesome about this is that you all have slightly different perspectives and different ways of articulating things. And so this is going to be an incredible episode. And uh, shout out to Eleanor for the idea, just again, because I really appreciate that she came up with something that was able to kind of pull in the community aspect of this and really get a whole bunch of learnings that have come up through various episodes in the past, but really in your words and just things that you've learned from doing this work yourself. So I just want to say that just as I went to record this episode, someone started drilling outside of my window. (laughs) So I'm on a time crunch here. I can't reschedule when I'm recording this. I have to do it now because it's going out next week. So let's hope that he stops soon. I broke this up into 10 categories because I wanted to cover different facets of anti-dieting and body body positivity. So we're going to cover the best lessons about fat acceptance, body positivity, diet culture, life without diets, health at every size, self-care, our worth, age positivity, feminism, and some blazing affirmations of self-love from you. I wish I could have recorded your voices reading these but I'm not that big time yet. So hopefully in the future, I'll have the budget to to pull something like that off. Fingers and uh, labia lips crossed for episode 200 for that idea. And as we go through each category, I'll add my contributions at the end of each. But really, this is me reading your words and hopefully not butchering your, uh, your names or anything like that as we go along. So yeah, just sit back, relax. Listen, and we're starting with fat acceptance. This comes from Ellen. 
body positivity co-opted the fat acceptance movement. Your body positivity is meaningless if it isn't rooted in fat acceptance. This one comes from Raina. Society tells fat people that we should put our life on hold if we're fat, that we shouldn't be expected to travel, have jobs, have families, have sex, have a life if we are fat. Oh, can I say a big fat nope? Not only have I learned that devoting all your energy and focus into manipulating your body size is a complete drain and closes off all of the richness and gloriousness that is out there in the world, it does not work. Once we accept that we have lives to live, fat or not, everything else opens up. Fat acceptance is the foundation of recovery. This comes from Caitlin. Fat does not mean unhealthy. This is from Allison. It is my belief that recovery in the fullest sense is not possible without first breaking down the walls of fat phobia and exclusivity. As long as the belief remains that to be a certain size is unacceptable, living freely and unhindered by unhealthy associations with food and movement is likely impossible. It is only when we can say, this is my body, and if I gain weight, I will still treat it with respect, that we can channel our energies into manifesting our truest selves. This comes from, I'm not sure, it's blank. I have read everything here and I don't see the most important thing I have learned and had to accept for any of this to be possible. Body diversity is real. Diets do not work, ever. If any kind of restriction or food or over-exercising lowers your weight, it's only temporary. Your body will fight back to what where it is meant to be and most likely raise your body's set point weight and your health will be much worse off for having done so. This is from Sybil. Everyone has fat on their bodies. It does not define us as much as the media wants it to. This is from Carolyn. Being fat is okay. Being or having fat does not mean you are less worthy of being treated with respect, dignity, love, compassion, or appreciation. Being fat means nothing other than being fat. It does not mean unhealthy or lazy or any other negative words that are thrown about on any given day. Being fat is okay. This is from Michelle. Opening my eyes and seeing the beauty in the diverse range of bodies out in the world was the first step in accepting my own. The less I judged others, the more I accepted myself. This is from Yale. I think of it as fat diffusion, diffusing from fat phobia. I can't say I accept my fat, but I can say that I am able to make space for my distress, soften the sharp edges of that space, and open up to self-compassion. I have been on this journey for years, ambivalent about accepting my body, militant about rejecting diet culture and fat phobia, whilst having internalized its messages. I'm almost 50. I started dieting when I was 14. This internalized self-criticism isn't going to disappear anytime soon, but I can notice these messages and show myself kindness. I can soothe and care for myself when my own self-directed fat phobia surfaces. I can validate my struggle, give it words, find comfort and inspiration in communities like these. Then, when my distress has settled, I can choose one small thing to do, which takes me in the direction of my values. This is the process of diffusion, of unhooking from the stories that hurt us. This one small value, values-based action nearly always leads to another, and slowly I find myself plugged back into that which nurtures me, inspires me, and connects me to people and causes that give my life meaning far deeper than the pursuit of an unattainable societal ideal. The ideal has been instilled in me, and all my life I listen to its demands. I don't have to listen anymore. This is from Sally. My weight does not equal my worth. This is from Shana. 
Becoming thin doesn't need to be my life goal, as it was for so long. I am so much more than my size, although not in spite of it. Being fat is just another part of my identity, just like wearing funky glasses, which I love to do, and talking fast. They might be unique, and some people might not like it, but that doesn't mean I should have to change any of it to live my life with joy. This is from Monica. Representation matters. Exposing yourself to pictures of larger bodies will shift the way you see bodies. This is from Sarah. It's a process. You can't go from fat hate and shame to fat acceptance and love overnight. Let yourself be where you are and curate your social media feed to see more fat, human, imperfect, amazing, lovely, strong, beautiful, passionate, and sexy fat bodies. Stop following so many thin, white, straight, cis, rich women as it's probably what you see everywhere else. This is from Cassandra. Advocating for fat acceptance is advocating for human rights, the right to exist without discrimination. It's the same as accepting one's religion, ethnicity, sexuality, gender, etc. Those who try to argue otherwise are just defending their ingrained fat phobia and want to justify their discrimination. And then the one that I want to add to this is if you have privilege, which I do, which can be an uncomfortable thing to acknowledge at first, listen to the voices of those who are more marginalized. Spend time reading the work of fat activists and understanding how fat bodies are discriminated against and recognize how their experience differs from yours. Become an ally, knowing that fat acceptance is necessary for advocating for respect and equality for all bodies. So that was the fat acceptance category. Damn, you guys are really smart and compassionate and thoughtful. And I'm probably going to say those words a lot here because I'm just blown away by how great this stuff is. And that was only the first category. So we are moving into lessons as it relates to body positivity. And this first one comes from Katie. Your body will change. Bodies change. Not only is there nothing wrong with this, it's a beautiful reminder that your body is constantly taking care of you and adjusting to that point in life and whatever comes next. Treat it kindly. This is from Raina. Body positivity is changing the conversation that you have with yourself. The word positivity might sound outrageous when you first embark on recovery, but really it's relative. Neutrality from a starting point of negativity is inherently positive. As long as the narrative is shifting, the impact is taking hold, and you find so many more avenues in life open to you. Oh, I love that one. This one comes from Leslie. You can't love your body if it's never been the same size for more than a few months at a time. Your body knows what it's supposed to weigh, and when it gets there, you will have to introduce yourself and make friends with it. That takes time. Surround yourself with diverse body images. Sign up for emails from fat acceptance and body positive groups, plus size clothing shops, vlogs and blogs, and social media groups. Read books with positive examples of big people rocking the shit out of life. Because the media will rarely offer you anything but maybe one or two types of body shapes as acceptable. This comes from Kelly. It's okay to be neutral about your body. In the beginning, all the talk about loving your body was a real struggle for me until someone told me that being neutral is okay too. So I started to strive for okayness, and that led me to start accepting the various parts of my body. This is from Caitlin. Your body has never been the problem. Mic drop. This comes from Carolyn. 
I have tried to write this about 15 different ways, so I'm just trying to get to the root. Body positivity, to me, is to turn the negative narrative around. You don't need to love your body or anyone else's, but for goodness sake, stop hating and disrespecting the body you have. If you can even get to the point of just recognizing what it can do for you, then that is a start, but let's stop hating on ourselves. This comes from Shana. Body positivity has been co-opted and corrupted in many ways compared to its fat-positive roots. However, that doesn't mean we have to abandon it. It's completely understandable for our own well-being and safety, but we can also work to reclaim it if we have the energy. It is a movement, so we need to help move it in the right direction. This is from Monica. The concept can be tricky at times and challenging. Body liberation is a better word, in my opinion. Body positivity doesn't have to mean you love your body. It's okay to have a neutral relationship with it. This comes from Sarah. You can still have the desire to lose weight slash change your body slash get sucked in by the newest shiny diet and be body positive. Having the desire is not equal to actually following through on it. Sometimes it feels like the body positive, fat positive, dirty little secret. I still wish I could live in a smaller body or that intuitive eating would lead to weight loss even though I'm no longer pursuing weight loss at all. And it's okay. There's room for that. Be careful how you go about speaking about this in body positive groups because weight loss talk can be triggering for many people. This is why it's so hard to navigate. This is from Merit. There must be room for everybody at the table. This is for Claudia. From Claudia, not for Claudia. From Claudia for Claudia. You don't have to love your looks or your body. Just accept it enough to be able to live in it and enjoy life. This is from Cassandra. Body positivity is not self-love. These two are two different things that can exist together, but we must recognize they are not synonymous. Body positivity is rooted in fat acceptance and fat liberation. You cannot be body positive without being fat positive. It is a socio-political movement aimed at ending discrimination against fat people. Unfortunately, body positivity has become a watered-down self-love story and has lost much of its radical roots. There is nothing wrong with self-love, and we should definitely promote it, but we cannot let this distract the goal, again, liberating fat bodies. She also says, The face of body positivity needs to be fat bodies. Melissa Gibson's master's thesis analyzed how body positivity is overrepresented by thin white women embracing self-love, which has caused a lot of confusion among mainstream society and distracted distracted uh, us from the radical socio-political roots of body positivity. The goal being, again, to liberate fat bodies. And I'll link to that in the show notes because I thought that that was an amazing thesis as well. Thank you for that, Cassandra. Okay, the last one in this category is from me, and that is being body positive doesn't mean you feel positive about yourself or your body all the time. It's not about seeing yourself or all bodies as attractive or liking your body. It's about advocating for the respect of all bodies, including your own, and reclaiming our power so our worth isn't wrapped up in our appearance. Such good stuff in there. Again, I feel like this is one of those episodes that you have to go back and listen to a couple times to like absorb all the different perspectives that are being thrown at you. So the next category is diet culture. And the first word of words, the first paragraph of advice is what I'm trying to say, comes from Krista. Diet culture is contagious. The vaccine is self-love and you will need many booster shots. Also, wash your hands and try not to spread it around. (laughs) I feel like that needs to be on a poster somewhere. Uh, This one comes from Jane. Close your eyes and imagine your consciousness leaving your body. 
Imagine an out-of-body experience and look down at your body as you zoom out. Zoom out of your house. Zoom out of your town. Zoom out of your country. Zoom out of the world. Zoom out into the universe. Let your body become a speck. Let everything you know become a speck. Let earth become a speck. Less than a speck. Practically nothing. Floating in a limitless, ever-expanding universe. Diet culture is also a speck, an over-opinionated speck that in the vastness of the universe is meaningless. Zoom out from that too and watch it until it disappears. I've read that scientists now believe that our universe is just one of a series of intertwined multiverses. Seas of galaxies, dark matter, wormholes, black holes, fourth dimensions, and stardust so vast that there is no way to comprehend. Our bodies are made of stardust. Our beating hearts beat with the universe. Every cell of our beings were born in the great mystery we live in. Our lives are nanoparticles in the midst of all these universes. Take your precious life and live it. Feel it. Create it. Expand in it. Love your universal body. This comes from Reina. Oh, to think how much more life I would have gotten out of my childhood years if diet culture didn't take such a dramatic and dominant hold on me. One of our most primal basic instincts is on how to feed ourselves and diet culture tells us that we are incapable of this one basic task, that it must be policed, controlled, that we must push through our body's cries for hunger and rest while we deprive and punish ourselves through calorie and food group restriction and overtraining. It's heartbreaking to see how many people continue to have their true potential shackled by diet culture. Though in saying that, the number of people that break through those shackles day by day is inspiring. This is from somebody that left it blank. I have come to accept that it's almost like I'm out of the matrix. If a person I'm talking to has not taken the blue pill, they are most likely not going to get what I'm saying. I have to assume that they are still guided by a lot of false beliefs that and that is the society that we live in. I lead by example. I also try not to expend my energy on those who are still interested in relentlessly pursuing impossible thinness at all costs and or actually want to live in a world completely dominated by the fear of fat. They are not going to change their minds. This comes from Kelly about diet culture. Goes by many names and can hide in plain sight. Lifestyle is one of the many names diet culture hides in. This comes from Angelica. I felt bad about being fat ever since I was at least nine years old. When I learned at 30 years old that dieting was something I didn't have to do, it was a complete revelation. The hours of time wasted measuring food, scouring diet blogs, feeling so anxious and horrible about every larger number on the scale, all of these things were hours I could spend doing other more constructive things. I wasted so much energy trying not to be perceived as fat. Now that I've accepted myself, I'm able to eat freely. I'm also concentrating on being more politically active, just trying to put out a kinder, less judgmental energy into the world. This comes from Leslie. 99% of the time when you see a TV show featuring fat people, it's not going to be for fat people. It's going to be for thin people so they can feel better about themselves or to make sure that they are fearful of ever becoming fat. This comes from Harmony. Diet culture has taken away so much from us. One of the biggest being encouraging us to detach from our bodies. It takes away our natural ability to feed ourselves. We do not need external cues. We have all the internal cues to know how to eat and when to move our bodies. We just have to learn how to listen again. This comes from Carolyn. 
Diet culture is fucking evil and is only there as a money-making machine, a $60 billion a year business. Diet culture doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about how you feel. It doesn't care about anything other than making money, and it does it off the fear and ingrained misconceptions of fat phobia. If more people could see what it really was, then as a society, we could tackle the real problems of the world. This comes from Laura. The origins of dieting were developed from puritanical religious men seeing restriction as godly, then directly relating into capitalist patriarchal control of women. This has fueled my anti-diet fat acceptance fire. Also, that it's about social justice. What started for me as an individual crusade for self-acceptance has become so much more than that. This keeps me going on difficult days. This comes from Shannon. Diet culture is about forcibly repressing our biological instincts. This is from Monica. It's sticky and suffocating, like tar. It permeates our society, and now that I'm into this body positivity stuff, I notice even more how it's expected of you, like an obligation. Pisses me off. It's a killer of everything beautiful and meaningful. Yeah, me too, Monica. This comes from Sarah. We are indoctrinated into diet culture before we are ever able to give consent. This is not our fault. It is not our fault. This comes from Merit. Diet culture has been teaching women to pinch their flesh, count calories, and police each other's bodies for a giant profit since before we were born. This is from Tasia. Diet culture exists to make money. It is not there to assist us in achieving greater health, longevity, or happiness. It exists purely for profit and making women hate themselves is one of the most effective business models in the world. Ooh, that gives me chills and it's true. And that's why we need to fight back. This comes from Cassandra. Someone once described the experience like the matrix and us working against diet culture have come to realize it is everywhere at work, in the grocery store, at home, in the park, at the movies, at school, at the gym. Diet culture is absolutely everywhere. This comes from me. And this is actually from a recent letter I wrote to my email subscribers. Diet culture and the idea of the female ideal silence and disrespect us in an insidious way, like one giant mansplaining monster in our closet. They suppress us by cutting off the access to ourselves. We lose touch with our body, our convictions, our desires, and consequently our life when we're fixated on our bodies and food. It subtly depletes our time and energy by convincing us that it's normal to obsess over whether we ate too much, finding the right superfood to solve our life's problems and how our waist looks in an outfit. With or without our consent, it's being programmed in us from a young age that we need to follow these rules in order to gain acceptance and currency in in this world, to live our best life. When your eyes are opened, you get to opt out. Okay, the next category is about life without diets. Yay! This comes from Ellen. When you let go of dieting, you let go of a long-standing go-to coping method. You no longer can suppress your emotions by starving yourself, by throwing yourself into meal plans and calorie counting. Now you have to go find new ways to cope, and you also have to learn to feel your feelings. It's going to be hard. Enlist a therapist for help if you can. This comes from Leslie. When I stopped dieting and got help for my disordered eating, I went through a time of serious grief, and I felt a great loss. I had to let go of a real coping mechanism. I had to change the way I ate foods that I wasn't always starving every time I actually ate, which meant food would not taste like the most beautiful explosion of fireworks after being in the dark for what seemed like forever, every single time I ate. 
My relationship with food was no longer my main, most pressing, all-consuming everything in my life. There are, to my surprise, so many other things to fill my life now, and I'm doing them. I'm not waiting to be thin enough. I'm just doing them. This comes from Raina. Life without dieting is freedom. And let's be blunt here. Freedom at first is scary. Like the first time you walk without crutches after an injury, or the first time you take the training wheels off the bike, there will be wobbles, there will be tumbles, there will be tears. But the liberation is completely unparalleled. It's amazing how much space in your brain you find with all the thoughts of dieting out of the picture. Now that space is filled up by truly glorious things. This is from Kelly. This is scary. At first, the thought of actually trusting myself to eat normally without endless restrictions was so scary that I couldn't face it. For months, I kept imposing ridiculous rules in the absence of a diet. It's okay to be gentle with yourself. This stuff takes time. We have been conditioned to believe there is one acceptable image, and if we don't fit that, we are conditioned to fix that by dieting. This comes from Caitlin. When you stop dieting, there will be times that you think that dieting is the answer even though you know it isn't. There will also be times that you will get sick of hearing about dieting from the people around you, or that you will want to make them believe that dieting doesn't work. They may not want to hear that. That is okay. This is your journey, not theirs. This is from Carla. There will be tears and darkness and work involved with untangling the diet talk from your true needs, wants, and desires. It will be hard. It will take time, but you can do it. Therapy, meds, supportive friends, coaching, haze dietitians, virtual communities of support. These are all really great options to explore if you find yourself needing help. It is so worth it. This is from Sybil. Life without diets is freedom. I have more time now to think about so many more important things. This is from Carolyn. I wish I had the vocabulary to express how much not dieting has changed my life. The freedom, the renewed sense of self. The time I have had returned to me, no longer the feelings of failure, knowing that I'm okay just the way I am at this point. The great joy in eating something that once I thought I wasn't allowed to have. Corn on the cob still tastes amazing to me now that I can eat it whenever I want. It saddens me greatly now when I hear perfectly wonderful people who are so amazing in every other aspect of their lives get so down on themselves when they inevitably fail at another diet or don't do as well as they wanted to. This comes from Courtney. Relearning to eat without morality or the hope of a better version of you, without the need to feel superior and self-righteous in your choices, without the guilt and shame, and without the fear that if you don't do these diety things, your health, your body, your performance in the gym and in life will suffer is truly a daunting and mind-blowing idea, but it is so worth it. Blogging out the noise of diet culture will be super annoying at times, but it is so worth it. Feeling like you're swimming upstream will feel tiring at times, but it is so worth it. Surrounding yourself with like-minded people in social networks for support through the frustrating times will be essential and so worth it. Being free to live your life without restriction is so worth it. This is from Katie. Thou shall not moralize food. This is from Shannon. Life without diets allows us to live in the present rather than the future. The future being when we are hoping to be thin. This is from Monica. It's a daily walk. I'm still getting used to my liberty, working on getting rid of the stigma of doing something morally unacceptable by eating whatever I want and not excusing myself. This is from Sarah. Life without diets is amazing. The obsession about food and dieting and the next great plan took up a lot of space and energy. 
Now that energy gets focused on critiquing diet culture, white supremacy, and the patriarchy, and being angry at weight stigma rather than at my fat body. It is also sometimes hard. Diets are a big way for a lot of folks to bond, find camaraderie, socialize, exist in their relationships, be perceived as a good fatty who wants to conform to body normativity. And when you stop doing these things, it eventually changes the dynamics of relationships and it can feel lonely and isolating while finding people who agree and support you. Acknowledge the grief and sadness and transition as that will help and you'll be okay. Life without diets is still better than with them. This is from Monica. It's almost like it holds me accountable. All those things I was planning on doing when, why don't I do them now? And if my current body is what is keeping me from doing them, then are those things even worth all that much? This is from Tasia. Life without diets can make you feel really isolated and alone at times. It's difficult and sometimes confusing, but it's kind of a liberation that you can't imagine until you start to feel it. Dieting fills up so much time and space in life, so the best part about ditching them is having all that time and space back to focus on things that are actually important and serving your life in a meaningful way. This is from Sarah, Sarah Vance, my sister from a previous life. She says, the life I always thought would exist at the end of dieting actually existed when I let go of diet culture as a whole, meaning I had more space, mentally, emotionally, physically, and financially, to create and do things that actually would make me happy and fulfilled. None of that existed within dieting, and if it ever did, it was fleeting and superficial. Life without dieting is in the most simplest word for me, living compared to existing. And this one is from me. This shit is hard, but it is so worth it. The process is hard because you're leaving coping mechanisms behind and you may have to feel hard feelings and come face to face with uncertainty, which is one of our worst fears. You will survive. You will be better off for having done it. I never met anyone who regretted this. The volume will be turned up on your life experiences and it will be great. Okay, we're moving into... All of your lessons on health at every size. This comes from Ellen. When you dig into the data and research, you see that a weight-neutral approach to health is the only reasonable way to go. If you're a skeptic, lean into that. Isabel Fox and Duke challenges people to find peer-reviewed studies with solid research methods that could lead to any conclusion other than health at every size. Try. See what you find. Don't take my word for it. This comes from Reina. The idiom goes, you cannot tell a book by its cover, and you also cannot tell a person's health by their appearance. Also, if they are not their doctor, whose business is it for them to comment? Society gets all in a tangle over the concept of health at every size. However, with conventional medicine not being on board with this concept, it is doing more harm. Patients needing help lose faith in the medical field and are denied care that a smaller body with every other variable holding steady would be given in a heartbeat. When embracing a weight-neutral approach, doctors can then look at the numbers that matter and have a conversation with their patients, and true improvement in health of society overall can take place. If anyone is truly for health, then they are for health at every size. This comes from No Name. Fat is not unhealthy. What fat people do to get thin is unhealthy. Not sure where or when I heard this, but it was a pivotal moment for me to my understanding of the world. That being said, I now understand that healthism is a thing too. Reagan Chastain quotes, it's not my civic duty to be healthy. Any and every time you are restricting or laboring food as, food as good or bad, you are participating in diet culture. This comes from Leslie. 
Haze has helped me to heal. I no longer blame everything on my fat. For example, if I have sore feet, I don't say, oh, this would be so much better if I was thinner and continue to suffer. I get myself better shoes and orthotics and take a break every now and then instead of pushing myself beyond my limits. This is from Kelly. Health does not depend on body size and what it means to you is something you get to decide. This is from Caitlin. There will be people who will tell you that health at every size is just propaganda, that you are weird and just looking for an excuse, especially if you're fat. Maybe you'll believe that sometimes. The important thing is that you keep being critical of the things you see, hear, and read. This is from Carla. Even if you are not healthy, you are still worthy of adequate health care, love, respect, fashionable clothing choices, etc. Resist the urge to place moral judgment on any of your own actions or choices or others based on popular cultural ideals of what health is. It changes. Historically, what is healthy and desirable has shifted time and time again. Acceptance of diversity is where it's at. This is from Sybil. Weight is not an indicator of health. People will claim they can tell another person is healthy by looking at them. How? Do you have an x-ray machine or x-ray vision? And even if you do, can you see my unhealthy whatever? I'm not obligated to be healthy for anyone. This is from Ren. If society really cared about the health of individuals, it would evolve in ways that are equitable, reduce stress, and idealize support above all else. Fatness is an easy target because it focuses the blame on a group of individuals rather than examining more complex and ingrained societal issues. Inequality has a greater impact on health and well-being than a single physical trait ever will. This is from Carolyn. You cannot determine someone's health by how they look. I repeat, you cannot determine someone's health by how they look. My health is between me and my doctor, and what I choose to do about it is also my choice. Being healthy at any size does not mean every size is healthy. It means you can have a healthy existence at any size you are. No one else has the right to tell me how to lead my life. And as I tell people who seem to have forgotten this very simple rule, worry about your own life. I got mine taken care of. This is from Shayna. Hayes helped me learn that our bodies are so complex, especially our weight, and that we need to stop choosing one size literally fits all goals. Health is different for everyone, and we need to trust people to find what works for them, not dictate what is better. This is from Monica. To be honest, I still struggle with this one. Some things are deeply ingrained, and I come from a family with members in the medical field. Hayes is definitely radical and even rebellious. I find medical studies to be a tricky subject since they're ruled by who pays the most. More and more, I'm realizing how doctors scapegoat weight just because it's easy and accepted. I think it will take a long time for Swedish doctors to adopt Hayes. This is from Nicola. Hayes taught me that what I learned in the fitness industry is bullshit and that every industry is out to make money out of giving us insecurities about the way we look. This is from Sarah. Hayes is for everyone of every body size, even super fat people. Also, the original idea has some healthist attitudes built in. This is no longer the way Linda Bacon or Lucy Aframora wants to be, wants it to be. Hayes is for everyone regardless of your health status. Read Body Respect instead. Uh, I agree. Body respect is great. And whether or not you move, haze is for you. This is from Merit. The only approach to overall health that truly makes sense and allows people to live free of shame and stigma. This is from Cassandra. Everyone needs to check out Linda Bacon. Google her, watch her videos, read her books, follow her on Facebook. Hayes forces us to recognize the correlation does not equal causation. BMI is BS and is used to discriminate in the medical field, often leading to misdiagnosis or poor treatment. Quote unquote, obesity is also BS. Size is not a disease. 
You can be fat and healthy, but even if you aren't healthy, it shouldn't be a prerequisite for human decency and respect. Here are some things we do know. 95% of diets fail. Intentionally manipulating weight can be harmful. Weight discrimination leads to long-term weight gain. The CDC recommends exercise for all sizes and to stop prescribing weight loss. The medical field is very discriminatory. And lastly, you can always work to improve your health and be more fit without changing your weight. Health can exist at every size. For those who argue otherwise, they are usually focusing on physical health, and even that is wrong to do. You can't know how healthy someone is by looking at them. Health is also more than physical. As Sarah describes, health is social, emotional, mental, spiritual, and includes many facets that gives one's life value. Let's also recognize that health is not a moral issue. Health is a privilege for many. It is a personal choice and should never be used as a basis for discrimination. This one is from me. We are constantly overlooking the importance of mental health. Mental health is equally as important as physical health. And practicing a weight-neutral approach to health is a way to focus on physical health without compromising our mental health. And also know that health is not a measure of worthiness. All right. Amazing stuff there. You guys are so smart. And I will link to Linda Bacon's books in the show notes. Okay. We're moving on to our worth. This comes from Krista. Your worth is not in the counting of your successes. It's not even in overcoming your failures. It's just inherent in who you are. You have worth no matter what. This is from Rob. I wish I'd been taught it's okay to say no to doing things you don't want to do. It's okay if people are disappointed. They'll cope. I wish I'd been encouraged to honor my feelings and trust my intuition. I wish I'd been safe from abuse and violence by knowing I could say no and that I'd be heard and helped. This is from Dana. It's okay to have emotions. We shouldn't be shushed or shamed for getting upset as a child and allowed to work out our emotions. This is from Katie. No matter what you've been told, you can decide for yourself what you believe. You are worth caring for. You are worth rest. You are not made up of your work ethic or approval from others. You are 100% enough. Also, you are not here to be aesthetically appealing to others. You don't owe anyone pretty, and your worth does not come from what the men around you think of you, not even your father. This comes from Ellen. The day I realized I was inherently worthy of all the things I craved was the day that my life began. This is from Merit. The people I grew up around were severely mentally ill and unstable, and I was not a mistake, or ugly, or worthless, or to be sent away, or to be fixed up. This is from Raina. Albert Einstein said, Everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life believing that it is stupid. There are so many different wonderful, amazing qualities that any given individual can have. Though if we get them all to climb a tree, it's no wonder that so many people experience self-esteem and confidence issues. Once you know I am a fish, I can't climb a tree, but I can swim across the fucking ocean, then you can truly step into your identity and own it. Oh, that's good. This comes from Leslie. The first thing that comes to mind is what you've been programmed to think. What you think next is up to you. This comes from Caitlin. You are important. You are important regardless of how much you weigh, your age, gender, physical capability, intelligence, sexual identity, race, or any other measure you can think of. This comes from Allison. When we finally shed the currencies of the patriarchy, letting go of the idea that self-worth is rooted in smallness and submission, that is when we can truly begin to step into our power. Yes. 
The greatest gift you can give your kids, loved ones, even your fur babies, if that's your jam, is self-worth. It holds others to account for their own beliefs, expectations, emotions, you name it. It frees you up to really look after what's most important. I feel like it's the magic ingredient in all of my most cherished relationships. Until I really learned my worth, my life was pure hell, fire, and chaos. Things are so much more simple now. This comes from Carolyn. You exist, therefore you are worthy. I read this somewhere. These are not my words, but boy, they have been inspirational to me. You are worthy of whatever you want. It's ridiculous to think that we are not worthy of something because of how we look. This comes from Ren. Health is not a moral issue. A person who prioritizes their physical health is not a better human than someone who does not or cannot. Health does not make someone more loving, more compassionate, more wise, or more deserving of respect and kindness. It's important to learn to question the values placed on health by society. I think this one's supposed to go in the health at every size section, but for some reason it's in here in in self-worth. So because I'm not going to go back and re-add it, I'm just going to read it here. And this is from Jean. So this is about health is every, at every size. It's so important to remember when looking at studies proving that fat causes a certain health condition that this may not be true. The two factors may often occur together, which is correlation, but that does not mean that one caused the other. Correlation does not necessarily equate with causation. Okay, we're bouncing back to self-worth again. This comes from Courtney. You are worthy because you exist. Your body size, shape, weight, abilities, or disabilities do not dictate your value or worth as a human being. Your health status, gym performance, or dietary choices do not dictate your value or worth as a human being. Your age, productivity, paycheck, social media following, job title, credentials, and employment status do not dictate your value or worth as a human being. You are worthy and valuable because you exist and deserve love and respect because you are a human being. This is, comes from Monica, our worth. It's so self-evident, but the truth is that we are all equally worthy, all. This comes from Sarah. My worth no longer is equal to my size, beauty, femininity, or ability to conform and keep my opinions to myself or how likable I am. This is huge, seriously huge. It takes work to get here and it's a constant awareness. Some days are better than others. I don't have to do everything at an A level anymore. I can aim for a C and that is totally worthwhile. I love that. This comes from Merit. Worth is not dependent on outside approval. Brain, learn this already. You're getting there. This comes from Tasia. She wanted to say that we are not products to be consumed and our value does not vary based on our outside packaging. Worth needs to be determined within yourself. If you spend your life waiting for people on the outside to validate you, then you will never be good enough. Choose to accept and value yourself and a feeling of worthiness will follow. This one is from me. In case no one told you, you are worthy and enough exactly as you are. It's not dependent on the way you look, your productivity, or your achievements. Full stop. You are worthy and valuable to this world. Okay, age positivity. Yay. Category number seven. Number seven out of 10. This one comes from Krista. Learning to age naturally is my big fuck you to the beauty and diet culture vultures who feed on our insecurities. They start when you are young and will follow you right to your grave unless you nakedly beat them back. I'm learning to defy them with every wrinkle on my skin and every sparkling silver hair. They don't get to tell me how to live anymore. That is amazing. (laughs) This comes from Lucienne. 
Forget the idea that there is an age when you will have all your shit together and have it all figured out. For me, that age was 30, but of course the idea proved to be fiction. I still haven't figured it out, but that is the point. Age is of no importance. You just keep getting better at living it and with all the years of practice you get. Go live your life now. And this is another one from Krista. And uh, she expressed this in an Instagram post, which I believe I reshared as part of my age post Saturday. Why do we think that our younger selves are our authentic selves? Why are we constantly trying to look like we did then? The person I was will never be as authentic as the person I am now because she hasn't lived in my skin up to this point. And when it comes down to it, trying to be anything else is just treading water. This comes from Carolyn. Age is truly a number, just like the scale. It means nothing. Live how you want to live and live what brings you joy. I have people tell me not to get a tattoo because I am too old. I have been told to wear certain things because I am too old. Sorry, that should say, I have been told not to wear certain things because I am too old. I have been told not to color my hair green and pink because I am too old. What does that even mean? I'm not a container of cottage cheese. I will not go bad. My tattoo isn't going to get moldy. I don't think the seniors home will deny me entry because of my hair. Again, do what you want to do and don't let society or anyone else tell you differently. <laughs> I feel like I need to get, I am not a container of cottage cheese tattooed on me somewhere. <laughs> This one comes from Jean. I get to choose how I want to handle the aging process. For me, it involves coloring my hair and not letting it go natural because I like being a redhead. I have found that I've needed to grieve what no longer is before I could jump into moving on with my life. That's okay. I've found that I've beaten many of the odds and stereotypes about fat older women. You'll read about the very low odds of finding someone to be your significant other, spouse, or other as you age. Throw fat in there and you'd think you're doomed in the dating world. I met my current husband when I was 60 years old after being single and divorced for 13 years and being at my highest weight ever at the top end of most plus sizes. We met and were married six months later. He is the love of my life. He thinks I'm beautiful in all ways. Screw the odds. This comes from Raina. Ashton Applewhite's TED Talk on ageism says, It is not the passage of time that makes it so hard to get older. It's ageism, a prejudice that pits us against our future selves and each other. In the fitness industry, you are sought after if you are in your late 20s, early 20s. If you're in your 30s, sure, it's okay to hang around, but we'll squirrel you away into the corners where people won't notice you as much. If you're in your 40s, they're secretly trying to find a way to fire you and watching your every move. Meanwhile, people across that entire spectrum are participating in fitness led by those professionals and don't give a crap as long as they are being led through effective and safe training. It is rampant and buys into the notion that human beings have a best before date, which is a load of bullocks. The most inspirational people are ageless. Their self-assurance and unapologetic outlook are what have the biggest impact on the world, not how many times you have turned over the calendar. This comes from Shana. Aging isn't something to fear. This comes from Monica. Well, diet mentality exists partly because people are afraid of death. So of course your age will be your enemy once you hit. X. I envy those cultures where age is estimated and valued and the old are respected and cared for. This comes from Sarah. I want to see more age positivity. I'd say ageism is one of my biggest blind spots and hardest to detect. 
and least talked about. I want to learn from the folks who are older and have more wisdom than me. I don't want to erase them and their experience. Also, I want to stop saying, you look X, fill in the age older than me. I've said this to someone who is 50 and someone who is 70. Both called me on it. What is 50, 70 supposed to look like? I want to stop assuming what someone of a specific age looks like. This comes from Merit. Here I am, still cracking jokes, loving my wrinkles. This comes from Tasia. Age is literally just a number. Even though that sounds majorly cliche, we are taught that we should have friends the same age as us, but I've always resented this. We can learn valuable things from having friends of all ages. When I was 23, I regularly hung out with a 15-year-old kid from my work, and most people thought it was weird. It wasn't weird. He was interesting and fun, and we got along. Plus, I got to give him a bunch of good life advice and help him through some tough shit he was going through. I also have friends who are much older than me and often have had more fun chatting to my friend's parents than I did my friends. One friend is in his 60s and we hang out and have a blast every time he comes to town. Again, everyone thinks this is weird, but why? I've learned so much from him and I have just as much, if not more fun with him than I do with people my age. I just don't think there should be this restriction on who we spend our time with based on something as arbitrary as age. That's such a good contribution. This comes from Cassandra. So many mothers struggle and it breaks my heart. I found my mother to be the most beautiful woman in the world before she passed. She passed much too early, and my only wish now is that she could have lived and aged knowing how beautiful she was, that she could have seen what I saw. We change as we age as a result of our life experience. It is beautiful how our bodies are time capsules. This one's from me. I'm going to be queen of the fucking bocce ball tournament when I'm 90. Okay, this one is one thing you want other women, femmes, non-binary people to know, and I ask that they completed the sentence, you are... This comes from Ellen. You are good. You are always good. You will be good. This is from Kelly. You are enough right now, just as you are at this very moment. You are enough. This is Caitlin. You are welcome. Body positivity is for you too. This is from Leslie. You are not alone. This is from Raina. You are a fucking badass. This is from Carla. You are so worthy of love and acceptance and happiness. And if you don't feel that yet at your core, there's a community of accepting, non-judgmental, badass women right here to remind you. Reach out. This comes from Harmony. You are lovable just the way you are. You do not need to change anything about yourself to find love and companionship. This is from Carolyn. You are worthy. You are perfect. You are doing everything right right now. This is from Anonymous. You can find peers who support you. You do not need to be alone in this. This is from Shana. You are amazing and valid. This is from Claire. You are enough. You are exactly as you should be right now. You are worthy of love. You make the world a better place by being in it. This is from Monica. You can make a difference. Summer is and so can you. We're all in this together. Thank you, Monica. We all make a difference here. This is from Flavia. Trust your body and your instinct. This is from Sarah. Welcome in fat positive and body positive spaces. You are just as worthy of body trust as every other woman. It is your birthright. This is from Merit. You are needed here. This is from Claudia. You are under no obligation whatsoever to fit in. Be who you are, not who other people want you to be. You don't have to be thin, pretty, a good listener. Your only obligation is to be true to yourself. This is from Cassandra, and she says, I'm not sure if this fits in here, but recently a girl commented about how she wished she looked like a woman in a photo. 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 And this was my response to her. How boring a world it would be if we all looked the same. There is only room on this earth for one of you, one amazing, lovable, and valuable you. 
You are beautiful from your creation, from your soul, not by some arbitrary standards. You are exactly how you are supposed to be. Read it again. Let it sink in. You are exactly how you are supposed to be. Nothing more, nothing less. Looking like this woman simply wouldn't be right. The world would miss you. We need you how you are. Your body and the space you take up is important. I wish you looked like you. I wish you could accept and love yourself. I wish you knew how beautiful you really were, how people would miss you, your appearance, your personality, your love, your entire virtue if you weren't you. You really are exactly how you are supposed to be. Picture some women you love. Now remember that when they picture you, it's your face and body they picture. The face and body that is built of everything you have gone through and enjoyed in life. You are the perfect representation of you. I wish you knew just how amazing you were and never felt bad. Sending love. Wow, Cassandra, you need to put that in a book or put that on some kind of image. That is really beautiful. And this one comes from me, which kind of pales in comparison to that last one. (laughs) You are strong, courageous, kind, compassionate, and the world needs your gifts. Okay, we're going on to self-care, which is the second last category. And in case you've noticed, I haven't really been editing if I have little blips when I'm speaking and reading back the things you wrote. I'm doing this kind of unedited and a little bit raw. So if it's a little less polished than it quote unquote should be, I'm not apologizing. (laughs) It's just the way it is because there's a lot of stuff to read here. Okay, we're in self-care. This comes from Dana. Self-care is one of the most important things we can do for ourselves. It's okay to put ourselves first and take care of us so we can be a better person for everyone else around us. This is from Katie. Stop to take deep breaths more. Stop the hustle and flow and enjoy the small moments. Make time to sit and breathe, write, ponder, and enjoy. This comes from Ellen. Self-care, as we think about it, is often wrapped in privilege, socioeconomic privilege, able-bodied privilege, geographical privilege, and even, yes, thin privilege. Being cognizant of this as we promote self-care is crucial if we are to tend to all of our people. This comes from Raina. It's recommended to be as open to as many different forms of self-care as possible. We are all individual and have different things that push our buttons. And what might seem restorative and blissful on one day might feel like too much effort or an inconvenience on another. Whatever it is, self-care is more challenging than it sounds, as there's a tendency for people to not feel worthy unless they are running after someone else. There's someone right here that needs you, and you don't need to run after them. They're literally right here. This is from Bethany. Self-care isn't always the exciting thing or the easy thing or the pleasurable thing. Sometimes self-care is challenging. Sometimes self-care means working through our traumas so we can try to be freed of our pasts and healed of our afflictions. Sometimes self-care means asking for help from someone who is qualified to provide it. Other times self-care means standing up for ourselves to someone we're afraid to stand up to. Sometimes self-care is as simple as going to the dentist. Self-care can be a manicure, a bubble bath, or a massage, but it doesn't always look like Instagram material. It is, however, doing what's best for our well-being, and sometimes that can be difficult. But in the end, it is worth doing, and more importantly, you are worth it. This comes from Kelly. I used to get so worried about doing self-care right, and it didn't work. Self-care is whatever you want it to be. I'm not into bubble baths, and that's okay. I'm not into meditation. That's okay. I would rather throw on heavy metal and headbang for a half an hour. Go right ahead. Oh, I think she means, would you rather throw on heavy metal and headbang for half an hour? Go right ahead. Self-care is entirely up to you. You choose the things that give you joy, meaning, happiness, relief, relaxation, space, downtime, or whatever you feel you need at that moment. And by the way, Kelly, I do throw on heavy metal and headbang for half an hour as self-care. <laughs> uh, this comes from Caitlin. 
This might be one of the hardest things you ever learn. It might not even feel that good at first, but stick with it and speak up if it's safe for you to do so about things that are uncomfortable for you. This comes from Carla. Sometimes self-care just means doing literally nothing. Self-compassion is crucial here. You need to be able to connect with yourself and really feel here what you need to in order to do self-care. It can be anything that fills you up, food, movement, sleep, or absolutely nothing at all. You are the boss of you always. Self-care can mean so many different things to many people. It is a hard one to figure out and it doesn't always mean happy, fun stuff either. I take it to mean putting myself first and doing what I want, need to do to make me feel better. Sometimes that means having a good, long, ugly cry. Sometimes doing absolutely nothing. Sometimes shopping. Hey, retail therapy is a thing. Sometimes getting a project done. Sometimes therapy, because that's always fun, right? (laughs) Sometimes flying a kite. I hate bubble baths. I haven't had a manicure in over five years, but my self-care is excellent. Find out what restores you, what makes you feel better after, maybe not always during. Once you figure this out, it is so important and so fulfilling. And that was from Carolyn. This comes from Courtney. Sometimes self-care is merely brushing your teeth for the day and that's okay. This comes from Ashley. Self-care includes things you don't always want to do and self-care is sometimes work. Self-care can be things like going to bed early even though you hate going to bed. It's not just manicures and massages. It's the things that make you feel good, things that uplift you, things that inspire you. It's not always easy. It might be sitting on the couch watching TV sometimes, but it might also be getting up off the couch when you're feeling tired and going to do something creative that uplifts you. This is from Monica. I've just learned that self-care can be advocating for myself. I don't need to overthink stuff every time I'm standing up for my needs. I'm worthy of taking care of my needs and letting my voice be heard. This is from Flavia. Self-care for the future me, like washing the dishes at night so that tomorrow I don't have an overwhelming pile up. Also, self-care means putting yourself first many times, even though it might seem selfish. This is from Sarah. Self-care is self-preservation. And that is an Audre Lorde quote. Self-care is a political act. Self-care is revolutionary. Self-care is self-love. It takes time to improve self-care. Also, it's important to take care of something you don't like. So the more you can improve yourself image and body image, the easier this can get. Merit says, self what? Tasia says, therapy. Therapy is good for everyone. You don't only go to therapy because you're messed up or sick like so many people think. You go to therapy because you want to learn more about yourself and explore the things that make you tick. You want to work through all the little and big things that are holding you back from being who you truly want to be and living your best life. You go to therapy because you have an impartial person in your life to unload all your baggage onto without feeling guilty, judged, or under pressure. And it is really, really awesome and good for your soul. One of the best things I learned about self-care is that it doesn't have to be fancy. And sometimes the least fancy stuff is best for us. Going to bed early, taking medication, crying when you need to, flossing your teeth, buying comfortable shoes. All these little kinds of things have such power to make us feel better. It doesn't have to be some big pamper day of candlelit baths, face masks, and massages to be meaningful. Cassandra says, time to schedule that yearly exam. Yep, that one. This is your reminder. This one comes from me. We need to respect and acknowledge the roots of self-care and its connection to activism and race. Audrey Lord said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. It was slash is a political act to show you matter in an oppressive culture. I think it's important for us to acknowledge its roots as it goes far beyond white women having bubble baths because they're exhausted from the week. And that's totally cool if you're a white woman who does that, but All I'm saying here is it's important to acknowledge the roots of where this comes from and where the idea of self-care was really born out of. 
Okay, the last category is miscellaneous. And uh, this, I just said, talk about whatever you want to talk about, whether it's sex, feminism, motherhood, food, whatever. So we'll call this category potpourri. And this comes from Dana. Motherhood is hard. It is a time where we lose our old self to take care of a new little person. I wish every new mom would get mental health help on how to manage the new emotions, responsibilities, and life changes after having a baby. This comes from Jane. Mothers make mistakes and that's okay. If you say the wrong thing, apologize for it. Clear it up. I remember things my parents said to this day and I've caught myself saying similar things to my kids when I get overwhelmed and frustrated. The difference is that because I remember my parents' words and still feel the shame slash disappointment, I make sure that I tell my kids that what I said was wrong slash not true and that I let my frustration get the better of me. I also give them permission to call me out on it. If I say something inappropriate, they are allowed to tell me no. Reina says, one thing I have had to accept is that others have privilege that I do not. While it is unfair that I do not have the same leverage that they do, they also did not ask for this privilege. They will get better opportunities than I will. They will be taken more seriously than I will. No one will doubt their ability to deliver, whereas I will be questioned and second-guessed. This is not my fault, and on an individual level, it is not their fault either. Society and its fat-phobic messaging is at fault, and how body size is correlated to the perception of worthiness. I know that I am worthy, and I know that I have contributions to make to this world. There will still be challenges day to day, and it is never smooth sailing for anyone. Every stumble is an opportunity to learn and grow, and I know I have a fair few stumbles ahead of me. This is from Ellen. For me, the single most important key to accepting myself is this. We don't have any control. We don't have control over the size of our bodies. We don't have control over our health. We don't have control over our circumstances. This lesson transcended body positivity for me and radicalized my entire life. Pretending we have control over these things is a grasp for immortality. We will all die one day. We can, if we so choose, take measures to elongate our lives, but ultimately we're beautifully victim to the universe. When we learn to let go of the unruly reins that are blistering our hands, we realize that we weren't controlling the horses anyway, and only then can we experience freedom and bliss. This comes from Kelly. Be your own kind of person. There is no need to follow societal norms. You kind of have to follow some rules, though, like laws. You get to decide what a fulfilled life looks like to you. You get to measure success by whatever that means to you. My idea of success doesn't have to be the same as anyone else's. You get to decide. You set the majority rules. Live your life the best way for you. This is from Caitlin. The patriarchy has led women to believe that identifying as a feminist is a bad thing, that only ugly man-hating lesbians are feminists. That's not true. It's just another way that we allow ourselves to be less than. We've allowed ourselves to be convinced that we don't need feminism anymore, but really we need it more than ever. Even within intersectional discussions, there is little talk of intersectional identities that involve the body. It is up to all of us to make ourselves seen and heard. Our intersectional identities matter. We are all different and we all have a unique viewpoint. This comes from Leslie. I have learned so much about justice and political activism and what stigma is and how it's not just me, it's systemic oppression. And through this, I have a much better understanding of all oppression. Intersectionality means where parts of who you are meet with others that have other parts that might not meet with you. But it builds a great map of all the ways we are different at the same time as showing us we are all connected. I have learned how to be a better ally. I have learned how to advocate for myself. Such a gift. 
This one's also from Leslie on motherhood. I am grateful for the chance to raise my daughter in a way that will be body positive and restriction and shame free. All the crimes that were committed against me when I was a child are helping me to be a better parent. I will raise her to protect and defend herself against those who would undermine her self-worth and reject so many hurtful lies I took as gospel. This comes from Carla. One of the greatest lessons on this journey is that most of us have privilege over others. Addressing this is really hard. It's essential to keep questioning things, keep honoring your curiosity, explore your discomfort. Feminism is a great lens through which to view the world. If you find yourself offended, look deeper. It's such a great opportunity for growth. Uh, I totally agree with you. This comes from Carolyn. Every body is fine just the way it is. Society has dictated what is positive and what is acceptable and what is worthy. Different parts of the world have different standards, but standards should not be put onto bodies. We are all different, and whether someone is fat, skinny, short, tall, wrinkled, baby-faced, disabled, freckled, black, brown, white, or any other adjective does not matter. What you look like and what your body looks like means nothing about who you are as a person. Live your life authentically, and that is anyone can ask of themselves. This comes from Ren, a joyful and fulfilling sex life with a partner or partners who respect you and your body is an absolute right. Never settle for a partner who makes you feel less than bodies, emotions, and ways of thinking constantly evolve. And if you ever find that you have evolved in a way that your sexual partners cannot support, you have every right to walk away from that relationship. Do not make a compromise that harms your self-worth. Yes. Good one. This comes from Katie. The only things that can control you are those people things that you give the power to. She also says leadership is taken, not given. This is from Shana. Sex isn't just for one body type. Fat people can have sex, lots of sex, hot sex, passionate sex, quick sex, all the sex, regardless of size. I hope the people that are standing right outside my window are enjoying that. (laughs) Maybe I should say that one louder and again. (laughs) This one comes from Erin. I didn't understand that mothers, that older women can develop a raging and life-threatening eating disorders. This is not a diet gone too far. It's a serious illness that can kill you and rob you of your joy. No one is shouting from the rooftops that eating disorders can affect anyone regardless of their age, weight, socioeconomic status, race, etc. Because we stereotype people who get eating disorders, young, white, thin, financially stable women, millions of people suffer with this disease needlessly and alone. I had to nearly die and leave my children without their mother before I figured out that I had anorexia, and recovering from an eating disorder as a mother is a special kind of hell. You have no real understanding from people around you. You have to keep your family's life going, and you're bombarded with messages that mothers must maintain perfect thin bodies that don't suggest we have children. It's groups like this that help me stay afloat when I feel dragged down by this illness. I remember I used to be a loud, outspoken feminist badass. Summer has helped me uncover those superpowers by giving the middle finger to diet culture and unrealistic and oppressive beauty standards. I am so grateful for everyone here. Oh, thank you for that, Erin. This comes from Monica. I've started to try new things. I've always been all or nothing, and this has kept me back. No more. I will hike even though I don't have the time to do it for as long as I want. I will do yoga even though it scares me, and now I love it. I will do gardening even though I suck at it. We're free, people. This comes from Nicola. Motherhood is teaching your children to be themselves by leading and being yourself. If you are broken, the person who they love unconditionally, they will grow up feeling broken. Love them by loving yourself. And you are their most important teacher. Sarah says, healing is possible. It takes time. Some people have more barriers to healing than others. And we need to honor and hold space for that too. She also says, 
Community is huge. It is nearly impossible to do this work and shift your whole paradigm alone. It's why groups like this are so important. Figure out how to find your in-person or virtual community and you will thrive like you never have before. She also says, dismantling and learning characteristics of white supremacy and the patriarchy will help you understand why diet culture is so prevalent and invasive and why it's so hard for people to give it up. It will also probably make you angry, but being angry in that way is better than internalizing it on yourself and adding to my depression or your depression. And I now get to experience anger, which never felt safe before. I totally agree with that. Okay, Sarah's got one more. One of her favorite lessons. If I'd known how much fat and body positivity would improve my sex life, I'd have started working at it much, much sooner. Sex without worrying about fat jiggling or what my ass looks like up in the air or double chin or the fear that my partner will touch my belly or the fear that my partner will think my body is repulsive is one a thousand percent better. And my ability to say what I like and don't like is so much better. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Merritt says not having children is a perfectly valid choice. Claudia says don't worry so much. All science points to the fact that you can't change yourself character wise and you can't really change your looks. So it turns out you can't really control anything. What happens to you was decided when the Big Bang happened. All you can really change is your thinking, and that was probably decided then too. So relax and enjoy the ride. You only have one life. Tasia says, being fat doesn't automatically make you unappealing to men, and it definitely doesn't mean you have to settle for men that treat you badly or want you on the condition that you are trying to change your body. It is not a fact that all men want skinny women. A lot of men genuinely desire and want to be with fat women and will love and respect you just the way you are. I'm not saying fat phobia isn't prominent in the dating world because it is, but don't give up on finding a good partner or settle for less than you deserve because there are plenty of good fish in the sea. Oh, thank you for that. That's it. Oh my God, we did it. <laughs> I'm leaving those little blips in. I think whatever, this is going to be a very unedited show. <laughs> so my final thoughts for you are, I just want to say how incredibly grateful I am to you, my rebellious listeners, and to everyone who contributed to this episode. This episode is amazing. You are so brilliant. You know so much. You have so much wisdom. So I'm, I feel so fortunate that I'm able to share your wisdom with hopefully a few more ears that maybe wouldn't have heard your perspective otherwise. I, As I said at the beginning, I think that you are my greatest teachers. And without you, I wouldn't be able to give back and help clients in the way that I do. So I am just so grateful for you. Not a day goes by that I don't reflect on how appreciative I am to have you listen to this podcast or follow or read my work or work with me as a client. And more importantly, I have immense appreciation for the fact that you're here doing this work because this shit is not easy. And I truly believe that you doing this work for yourself is the greatest gift for future generations because it always has an impact on others, whether you're intentionally spreading the body positive word or just role modeling it to those around you. Don't take for granted the impact your actions have on others. Thank you so much for making this episode awesome. If uh, you didn't contribute and you listened, I would love to know what you thought of it, what you took away from it what some of your favorite lessons were. So come on into my Facebook group and post in the comments there where I link to the episode on the day that it releases. I would love to know. I'm just 
this is awesome. That's all. <laughs> I got of speechless because I've been talking for a really long time now. But I just want to say thank you so much for being with me all of these years. I'm raising my devil horns to another 100 episodes with you. You can get all the show notes at summerinandin.com forward slash 100. And I've got goosebumps. This was so good. Okay, I love you. I really do. So moi and rock on. 